Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I know your sister, Julia, came on a previous episode and got to talk with me a little bit. So I'm glad to hear kind of your perspectives and and your thoughts. Um, Can you just introduce yourself to our audience and let them know a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the IFB movement? Yeah, uh, my name is Rachel Shamsky, and I was born into the IFB movement. I am one of six children and uh, yeah, I was born into it. And I um, moved around for many, many years and I was in very, I was in many IFB churches over the course of of my IFB lifetime. Right, so was, you know, for people born into it, it's it's a different situation than people who come into it at a later age. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we interpret as normal or that, you know, it's just our day-to-day life as a kid, you know, growing up in that world. Um, and some people noticed very early on that something was off. Did you, did you experience, you know, positive emotions toward the movement early on, or was it you know, very early at a young age where you just felt like, oh, something's not right, or this feels off or, you know, uncomfortable. Like, what was your emotion kind of in the beginning of your time in the movement? Um, my, my earliest childhood memories are just fear and sadness. Hmm. Uh, my childhood is synonymous with IFB movement. I was, we were always in church, church was at home. Dad was spewing his hate at home. Um, any fond memories are with my mom, her siblings. Hmm. Uh, no comforting flop, thoughts like enter my head when I think of, of my childhood. It was not a happy time. Um, my dad hated my mom's family, and they, you know, they met in Michigan. And he was one of those people that joined IBF, IFB all on his own, and he found 
young little teenage girl to sweep off her feet and marry at 18 and impregnate her by 19. He just shipped her off down to Florida and took her away from her family um, to, uh, to reference school. The name of that Bible, Pentacle Bible Institute, is that the name? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So that's that's actually where I was born. I mean, there's there's a lot of movement back and forth uh, between Pensacola and the in the Indiana area that was done right. a few times. Um, so we were in and out of the of Ruckman School and High School back and forth. Wow. Um, Ping pong between two pretty negative environments. Yeah, and what happened when he was at Ruckman School is he and my mom both learned this uh, systemic sexism and racism that's prominent in the IFB community. So. Right. Dogs, barbers, and artists, you're not going to fool. <laughs> uh, dogs go by smell. And you white people have a distinctive odor. And if you talk to an honest n****, he'll tell you it's like a wet chicken. That's what he'll say. Or oh, sometimes they call you turkey. And a black man has a smell. And an oriental has a smell. Now, old Ruckman, you, Ruckman, you foot. I wasn't born yesterday or the day before. I've been around. I've been most everywhere. I saw about that. <laughs> but you take, if I'm in a Quonset hut at night over in the Philippines, out there in the jungle, and a flip comes in there, they call them gooks, <laughs> a flip comes in the middle of the night and goes through that night, I can smell him when he comes in the, do in the door. Now those guys in Vietnam, you really smell them. That's, of course, what they eat. They eat a thing that... Uh, I mean, that thing puts out an odor, boy. You can smell that thing a half a mile off. But a Filipino or a Chinese or Japanese has an odor. I don't... Shower, right guard, left guard, they have an odor. I said to my colored maid one time, I said, you know, I said, do, you, do us white folks smell it's funny, funny to you as you do to us? <laughs> and she said, yes, sir, boy, she sure do. <laughs> I mean, she, is, she is honest, you know. <laughs> He was taught that man is superior to woman. I mean, you got to watch that big flabbing mouth. Now, I know what you ladies think. You think these men are so dumb. You know, they'd be fooled with that little snip. She just wraps him around, all that kind of stuff. No, no, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. That Bible says Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. That's what it says. Uh, some lady, you ladies got to get down. You better get it down. When a man sins, he figures for his sins. He plans it. He plots it. You get talked into it. You get convinced. You go along with your feelings. Men aren't like that. When a man sins, he sins deliberately. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, brother. You got it right. Kid got more sense than most of you got. <laughs> That's right, because he says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The man planned it. And you ladies, you'd be surprised how sharp some of these old birds are. They haven't had no education or nothing. Man can hit his children. Women cannot leave their man. My mom was terrified to leave, um, terrified God would be upset. Divorce was a worse thing than, I don't know, hitting your children or act, pretending a black person is less than you. Divorce was a worse sin than anything to them. Yeah. And uh, so we, my mom was legitimately scared to leave for a lot of reasons. And I, I know that fear because I was raised in that home. Um, 
her, my mom, uh, her, her friend is the reason that I'm even here today. She, this, this woman, um, she passed away before I ever got a chance to thank her, but if we had stayed, it would have destroyed me. He would have destroyed me. I am a, I, I don't, I know if fragile is the right word, but I'm a sensitive person. I was born that way. I'm an empath. And I, my worst memories are not of what he's done to me, but what he did to the people I love. And he hurt me. All in the name of, you know, God. I mean, he, the church had his back. Um, the physical and psychological abuse that we suffered from our father is a direct result of his ties to the church. Right. and uh, what was being preached from, from the pulpit. So all, all the sexism, patriarchy, the racism, that, that's, that's what I'm here to talk about. That was... Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, when you mentioned Ruckman Institute, you mentioned, you know, your, your father's spewing hate at home. I assume that racism was a large part of that because that was a large part of Ruckman's theology, um, an overwhelmingly large part of his theology. Um, it was... Ruckman was still actually the one teaching there at that time then. Yes. Correct? I mean, okay. I, I, Ruckman had been at, okay, so like years later when we moved to Michigan, we found this, this other church that would be the, the last church that I was ever a member of. But still, I was there for many years. All, all those IFB churches are connected. And, and he would go on tour sometimes. He, he, would, he had been to that church. Right. And, to, you know, to do his little cartoon drawing and stuff. And so, yeah. It wasn't just the big old Hammond Church First Baptist where all these horrible stories of sexual abuse were coming out. Like that wasn't the big thing, a big secret about this this church for me. But right. they were all equally to blame for this interconnecting idea that white people were supreme. Right. I mean, white supremacy is embedded into their faith. Right. Into their belief system. All these groups have one great common denominator. And that is, in every case, each group is trying to homogenize America. I think God did not intend for the Jews to marry other nations. I think God did not intend for the Negroes to marry other people. I think God did not intend for the white man to marry out of his own group. I'll go a step further. I could wish, and I think God originally would have been better, more pleased, if the Frenchman had married French women. And the German had married German women. But I do not think it is good for society or the health of our offspring for the racist to intermarry. And I'm not a bigot, and I'm not a racist. And if you try to make me a racist, you are a liar of all liars. And you just simply don't have enough reasoning to understand good basic logic. I'm not. The truth is I love a black man as much as I love a white man. And the truth is I probably have more respect for well, the old-fashioned black folks in America than I do the, 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 this modern crowd of white folks. My dad wasn't a preacher, but he always wanted to be. So when I was trying to explain to people how awful my dad was, I wanted them to understand, like, no, but he thinks he's a preacher. Like, he thinks he's a good man. And I never, it was so hard to compel that truth. Like, I mean, this was after we were out of it. Like, I wasn't allowed to talk to anybody before we were out, obviously. Right. So um, anyway. He, he, he just, he always seemed like the great Christian man. Uh, that's all anyone saw was his devotion at church. Um, right. 
and my dad was mostly cruel and even when he was kind um it always came at a price so it never felt like real love you know you slap your you slap someone enough times and it's not gonna you know it doesn't feel like love anymore so you talk about the beginning that's that is that's my beginning my upbringing was very sad right. and the day we left when my mom woke me up and you know he had had said we're leaving you have to be quiet it was sort of run in the early morning sort of thing that was the happiest moment of my life and i was nine mm. and i had nine christmases right. so it wasn't it was never happy for me um before that um i want to talk a little bit about the abuse okay. because i think it's important to express just how awful it was um a lot of people never let me talk and never wanted to hear it because it was so bad. And I need to talk about it. And I need for people to hear what these men are capable of. Right. He's not the only one. Yeah, not by a long shot. So he, uh, he beat my brother on the regular. He, uh, he would pummel him for not, for not retrieving a hammer fast enough he would command him to go slam his head against the wall repeatedly. Um, he would sucker punch him in the stomach. Um, and we're talking about like children needing to be spanked or needing discipline in general. Um, we think about what children do to deserve that. This is not, th these are not the kind of children we were. We were absolutely terrified. We, we walked on eggshells around him. Mm. And what crime fits any of that? Right. What crime fits any of that? Um, so I actually, I watched him, I, I watched him hit him with two by fours. Um, my brother eventually learned to like tighten his stomach up if he knew a punch was coming. And there were times when he would make my dad mad if he thought he was mad at one of us to distract him. Hmm. And I, I, you know, my brother's the most messed up of all of us. And I just, that's the last thing I can say on that right now. Um, um, I have nightmares for life. Uh, he, he's, one day he, he smashed the butt of a Stanley screwdriver over the, like the crown of his head and his blood just poured down his face, like, like prison bars all around his head. I can't get that image out of my head. It's horrifying. Yeah. And um, my sobbing sister ran it, was commanded to go inside and get a bandaid and not tell mom, but my mom forced it out of her. And in response, he took a metal wand and smacked her in the thigh so hard that she couldn't walk. Hmm. And that was just one day. That was just one day. And it was all the time. Hmm. Uh, he whipped me with a whip sometimes. I mean, he used a whip on all of us sometimes. And I remember him pulling my hair out in handfuls on occasion. Um, the church teaches spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, and that females and children and black people, all people of color are inferior. Hmm. And he was emboldened by this theory and he right. did not have any thought that he was doing anything wrong. 
And I need that to be made clear. He always thought he was in the right. Um, once I was forced to receive my 20 lashes on my bare bottom, I've never told anyone this. I was, I was either eight or nine, um, but it was so humiliating. Uh, I knew that he had full control over my body. Hmm. He could do whatever he wanted at any time. And this time was the worst. Um, I felt naked, I was naked, and I felt shameful. It was sexual in nature and I knew it. I knew that this was weird. And the pain I felt from the lashes left my body, but the scars from that, I can still feel that, um, that shameful nakedness, hmm. if I think about that. And um, you could say there's some torment from that, you know, and from all of the abuse that I watched and heard. No. It didn't end for a very long time. Um, another thing to point out, my dad always, he kept isolating us. Um, we kept moving around, never staying in any place too long. We didn't have a constant anything or anybody in our life, no people to look out for us. He wanted it that way. Uh, we rarely got to see our grandparents. So all we knew about life was from this man, what he told us and the church. I was going to ask. Homeschooled. Yeah, I wanted to ask that as, you know, you, you mentioned leaving being the happiest, you know, moment of your life. And, but when you're in the middle of this, did you, did you have a sense as a kid that there was any other form of life outside of this? Or in your mind, was that, was that the experience? Was that going to be life forever? Like what, what was your understanding as a kid of that? Um, at some point I knew that we could leave because my mom um, took us away one week to visit our great aunt in Kentucky. Okay. Um, she surprised our dad with it. It wasn't like a surprise, it's your birthday. He just woke up and we were gone and she said, you need a break. I remember that happening. Hmm. Um, so we went to visit our family and our great aunt who was our grandmother's sister and very, very dear to us. Um, many, many happy summer memories as a child um, after life after dad, childhood memories involve uh, being in Kentucky on her on her family property and just being loved and cherished. And so we knew I knew there was other life, and I knew it was possible to get away at that time. And I do remember wondering why it didn't happen sooner. Mm. But I know a lot more about my mom and about human nature and about abuse than I did back then. And this isn't this isn't bitterness against my mom. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, he kept us away from family and so everything he taught, everything we were fed, you know, there was no, it was just church and dad. There was no outside school or outside influence um, to show us that, that he was wrong. Um, he taught us that black people are less than white people. He regularly used the N-word and compared them to animals. Um, this is a really hard story. Uh, this, this, is, this happened in a grocery store. My brother was three or four and I was maybe one or two, 18 months apart. I don't know, he's older and he, uh, he told an innocent black woman, he, 
He told her that she looked like a monkey. A monkey, because that is what we were told. And I was singing it in the cart. Monkey, monkey. Like, I was a racist toddler. Mm. And that is the start of that. Uh, we heard his hate speech all the time. It was constantly expressed that black people were beneath us. Mm. And my dad, he worked in a mostly black community in, mm. um, in Gary, Indiana, and was very eager to take their business and then speak ill of them and everyone liked them whenever he had a chance. Mm. Um, and everyone in, the, everyone in the IFB community is, is this way. They all are. It, yeah, it, it's, I don't, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it, it took a series of events to open my eyes right. because of how, of how systemic and, and brainwashed I've yeah. been. Um, uh, the churches were, were, were preaching from the pulpit that, that black people are more like animals. Mm. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to say out loud in my life. Um, I feel like I've waited too long. But this is the real ugly truth about IFB. Um, there, there's some sexual misconduct I want to talk about. Um, the summer I turned 16, we were visiting my dad upstate. He, he'd befriended a woman in a wheelchair with three children. He's paying her to have um, her children work for him. Uh, yeah, so he, he always owned his own business. He has for a very long time. And that was another way to further isolate us. He homes, homeschooled us and we worked for him. Okay. So we had to do our schooling and like us, us three older children uh, yeah. actually went out on jobs with him. And it was another chance for us to be abused and hurt. Uh, child labor, obviously, but. Like construction, it, 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 construction uh, type jobs uh, or. carpets. Okay. Cleaning carpets. So a lot of heavy work actually. And if you didn't get out of the way, you would get burned on purpose. Oh. So my sister actually was burned the last time she was working for him to earn money for college. She was 19 and he oh. burned her badly. Hmm. Um, anyway, so so yeah, he, went, he, he runs his own carpet cleaning business and I'm like, oh, he's just found these kids for hire, whatever. He always needed help. But there was something unusual about the daughter. She was my age. Um, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but there was something awkward about um, him and his attention to her. Um, and I found out years later that he actually was having a relationship with her. She was 16. I don't know what kind of relationship it was. Um, my sister ran into a former employee of his years later and he told her that he had walked in on them. Hmm. So I called him out in a letter. And when he wrote back, he owned it with excuses. He said, I still have a letter. I only read it one time, but um, he's, he told me that I don't understand a man's needs. Hmm. And I remember thinking, well, geez, if men are that weak, why does the patriarchy exist? It seems like we could take it down in an instant. 
if you're that weak. No. I've always felt that way. Right. Men are supposed to be, men are, so, supposed to be so strong. Apparently you're not. You've always blamed women for your weakness. So you're yeah. not stronger than us. Um, I remember make, him making a very inappropriate joke about my sister being his wife in front of people at church. Uh, he's, all, he's, he's always been a bit pervy, and I'm sure he's victimized others that I don't know about. You know, he, he raped my mom yeah. that resulted in a, in a child. Like, he always got what he wanted. This was before the time when wives were allowed to own that they, you know, they were involved in sex that they didn't want. And that is actually great. They're not allowed to right. say no. That's another thing that the church teaches. Right. That your body is not your own if you are married to a man. Right. Um, anyway, so yeah, that was just one of the really hard, um, hard bits. And I know, I know of other people's sexual abuse within the churches in my area. Uh, not really my stories to tell, but it's happened to people I know, um, and they were called a liar. They were called a whore at 13, mm. and he was an adult. And it's literally how she found out what sex was. Right. How can that be her fault? Right. Um, so, I mean, girls were being dismissed all the time, called liars. I know of wives who were tortured and raped by their husbands who had to fight really hard to get their own father to take their side. Yeah. It is a man's religion. It is a yeah. man's cult. Right. Um, my mom, when she finally left my dad, had zero support from her friends. She had that one non-religious friend that helped us, encouraged her leave, and even aided in our escape. Um, but she was too afraid to speak out against my dad's behavior to the mm -hmm. women in the church. Um, nobody checked in on us. They just, they all believed my father's poison and just left her. The, the church effectively abandoned us right. in our time of need in that sense, like everyone in that circle. So yeah, we found another church up, you know, up north. Um, but, you know, I realized pretty early on that it was a similar environment. Um, yeah. It's very clear from the beginning to me. I was very scared almost 10 year old. And the first thing I met with was being bullied at school and at church. Right. I want to say like six years, it was, I was constantly bullied at both church and school. Right. So, um, you know, you mentioned leaving at nine, um, but still, you were obviously still visiting very often. Like you were still very, he was still very involved in your life, still a big part. Um, what was your experience with, you know, being living with your mom, church experience, kind of moving on from that point? Did she, was she drawn to similar types of churches? Was she, you know, was every place that you guys went kind of the same, even though things were a little bit different or? Um, I have been to several IFB churches in Michigan throughout uh, my church life span, I guess, if for lack of a better term, um, they are all the same. They all mm -hmm. believe the same message, you know, just a different body of people. Um, but they're all pretty much on the same thinking line. I would have gone to those churches when I was in more of a teenager, going to the youth rally type things, and that was the thing to do. Um, 
but I don't know how many churches we visited when we first moved. A lot happened. We actually had a house fire the first summer when we left. We had a lot that happened. So a lot, you know, in trauma, trauma will oversee over other memories. So while I have these vivid memories of before that time, there's stuff after it that when I was safe and okay, that is sort of like, oh, I don't really remember how that played out. Right. But, um, I don't know that we visited a bunch of churches. I feel like we found that church pretty early on. Um, and it was a bit more relaxed in its stance because they didn't actually believe that women wearing pants was a sin at this church, but a lot of the other ones did. I mean, that's, right. that's I grew up in a house where it was, it was considered a, a sin for, um, for women to wear pants. And it continued when we left. My mom held on to that for a, a long time, unfortunately. Right. I was bullied at school for this. I was I was bullied at school and church for that, you know, the fact that I, I couldn't wear pants and and you know, I had a lisp, I had a mole mm. on my face. It was just I like from the beginning didn't stand a chance. And these right. kids at school or these kids at church were pretty relentless in the beginning. Right. It was really hard. Um and the bullying didn't ever completely end. I was actually bullied um, as an adult. Someone vandalized my car in the church parking lot. Uh, I still don't know who did it, but I think it was the guy. This guy liked me and I didn't like him in return and he was mean to me ever since. I mean, vicious. And uh, this is another really personal, hurtful thing. I. I had a, I had an ex-boyfriend openly mock the flatness of my chest in public church company multiple times. Um, him and his best friend, it was a non-going joke for a few years and not just by the boys, the girls tease me too. And I, it took a long time for me to register how much it affected me mm. when I was younger. Right. I thought it was normal that people picked on each other, but now I know it's actually really cruel. No. Um, it's, and it's actually sexual harassment. If you, if you didn't know, when you talk about a woman's sexual body parts in front of her in public, it is sexual harassment. Um, yeah. And this, for, from the time I was a teen into my early twenties, there was that kind of joke about me. Um, how can these people believe uh, us to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Why did God make me wrong? I mean, this was right. body shaming. I endured this for so long. It actually messed me up for a long time. Um, it messes with your self-esteem right. and it's not an inclusive group. It's a very judging group. Right. So, um, the, they made fun of me more in the early years, but mostly it was the girls bullying at that time. And then the boys were more later years, which I'm not the only one with those stories. The boys are very mean. They're very yeah. mean sometimes. Not all the boys. That's not what I'm saying. But all the girls have a story about mean boys. Um, I have a very frightful memory from summer camp that turned physical. And all I wanted was for them to let me go. They were trying to throw me in the shower. I ended up being the bad guy when I defended myself. They had no idea that they were essentially physically abusing me. Uh, my PTSD kicked in, I panicked and I clawed one of the girls to let me go. 
I just wasn't a normal kid. Um, and they knew it and picked on me constantly. You know, all of my siblings were bullied at some point. Maybe not Sarah, because now nah, Sarah's definitely, she's, it, we've all got stories. It's so hard, you know, and we were losers. <laughs> I want to say like, once high school came around, the, the bullying and tormenting from the girls at, at, at church, you know, that kind of mostly subsided. And right. eventually we, we became friends and I'm still friendly with some of them. I, I just, I've been past that ideology and those beliefs a long time ago. So it, it's, you know, it's more of an estranged thing. I don't have, you know, I'm not living with that all the time, but at the time it was very painful and it caused me a lot of trauma. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we were expecting love and acceptance at this church, but we were, I, I was met with that from the beginning, um, an abused child, fatherless, no, no one wanted to listen to me talk and right. I couldn't talk about the bad things. I was alone and I needed therapy. And I got bullied instead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you should have been put right into therapy. Um, yeah. I, I supposed to feel comfort, like comfort at church. And I, it felt like constant judgment. Right. You know, I was always doing something wrong and not just the kids, the adults. Now I'm getting into the part where I'm talking about the grownups at the church that started to, when I was more of a teenager and sort of on my own, doing my own thing, like less away from my mom. I mean, there was a lot of judgment from the, the adults in the church toward me and my siblings and a friend of mine who's also from a broken home. We got, we were biased against at one year at summer camp and they, they were very cruel to us. Um, uh, they, they made us to feel like loose girls, and I'm saying that I I actually hate that term. Um, I don't like I don't like that term. That's it, it's like saying boys will be boys. No, people yeah. are people. Let's stop these derogatory comments. But this is how they were treating us um, because we were talking with some other boys out at the camp. Isn't that what kids do at camp? You know, yeah. I was made to look like a Jezebel. They were like, you, they made us be separated. Like I did not touch boys at that age. It doesn't matter if I did, it's nobody's business, but we knew at summer camp, I was no, no, but right. I'm just, you know, um, in the, in the light of my truth, like I, I felt, I felt like they, they thought I was trash. I mean, they all thought we were trash because we were from broken homes. Right. That was the general consensus. And, um, I didn't even know how much they hated us until I saw it in an email. I saw it in writing. Uh, those, those Lindley girls are no good. I'd rather see you with anyone else over a Lindley girl. Um, no one ever cared that our dad was cruel and he hurt us. Um, we were just simply trash. And this, so this is the point where I started to question my faith. Right. Started to question Christianity at its core. Um, yeah. That would be around the time I was 13 that I started questioning, but it just, it took so much longer than that. Many more right. years to like really um, unpeel the onion. There's definitely a huge, um, and I didn't even think about it initially, but there's a huge stigma in IFB churches. And I saw this with, you know, people that come from broken homes or, you know, people who's, you know, when there's not a dad or a mom in the home or, you know, that can be, 
you know, for whatever reason, that's something people zero in on. Even even on the pastoral side, a lot of times that's something that's honed in on. And there's a lot of there's a lot of hierarchy in IFB churches. And you know, you have your you know your staff, then you have I think someone actually went over this on the show, but you know, you have your staff, then you have you know the faithful you know faithful members with you know perfect family you know, whatever they describe as perfect, which means three times a week they're in church and Saturday soul winning. Then you have the people that are like casual. And then you have like, you know, the quote unquote broken families and the bus families. And then it's like the, the less well off that you are, or the more trauma that you've experienced or the more that your family has suffered, the less value you're given within a lot of these churches. And that's really unfortunate because those are the people that should probably be getting a lot more attention than what they are. Absolutely. I never felt truly accepted Mm. for who I was as a person. Um, And if I'm being honest, religion at its core is not overly kind to women. Right. That's often the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely felt that, um, I felt it in the cruelest way. That email, that was when I was in my early, or that was, um, that was when I was in my early 20s. And that email was sent to? I'm not going to say. Okay. I wasn't supposed to see the email. Hmm. But it was about me. Sent to a a guy that you were talking to? Or was it sent to? You'd have to say who it was, but obviously, but. It was, it was sent to. Yes, it was sent to a person in reference to me. Okay. And this person's mother did not want me to be affiliated. Mm. That okay. And that was her way of letting her child know I was no good. I still have the email. I mean, I'm not going to pull it out and open that wound again because no. it's still really only just stitched up. Right. Yeah. Like I, we were so tormented as children and then to, to move from that to be tossed into and like looked at, looked down on because of our parents' action. Right. Not even anything that you had a voice in at eight or nine or seven or, you know, even younger than that. It's just like mocking someone's body because of the way they were born. Right. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. There's more about that that I want to talk about um, that I saw that I witnessed that enraged me to the point of me leaving. But uh, yeah, so I want to move back to the racism for a bit because it, it, it's obviously still going on in the IFB community in, in the world. And yeah. um, I'm here to tell you, when Black people say their biggest enemy are white Christians, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. I have heard what these white Christians have said about Black people. How they believe them to be more violent. For a long time, I was afraid of Black men. And this is not okay. I was instilled with an irrational fear against black men. When in fact, I've only actually been assaulted by white men. Mm. Wow. The general opinion in the church, uh, I've heard things like, um, we were nice to our slaves. Mm. Um, And it's the angry ones that ruin it for everyone. This was this constant poison being fed to me since birth, and the churches all kept it going. They keep it going. Um, racism is perpetuated, even taught from the pulpit, joked about in the building, and at mealtime after church. 
right. toxic place to be if you don't want to judge people. Right. It taught me to judge everyone, not just black people. Every, I, what is this body shaming about in the world? Right. It all stems from the same thing. Yeah. Nobody is wrong for how they were born. Um, my mom married when I was 18. I never really, really liked this guy all that much. Um, I always had a feeling about him. But my mom was happy. Um, you know, she'd been a single mom of six kids for eight years. And, you know, this guy was coming in, swooping in like Superman, like he was going to help. Um, and he helped for like, I don't know, a month or two. Seriously. It was a, he was so bad for my mom. They, the environment they lived in was so awful. He fought a lot like my dad. He was so much like my father, only less rude. Right. And I used to make the joke that it's really like comparing Hitler to Satan. Right. He's yeah. It, worse. Right. You know, it, well, it's it, almost it, worse when it's it's someone who is a nice, you know, quote unquote, nice guy or polite guy because those people are the best at manipulating. Like when you can see, I mean, obviously in Ruckman's church everyone was just an on the surface jerk. Like you can see that in Ruckman from the stage, like, You're and, right. you know, it's, it's clear that Ruckman was the way he was, but what's terrifying within the IFB is there's a lot of, you know, when people say there's good people in the IFB, sure. There are some good people in the IFB, but there's also just a lot of nice abusers in the IFB who zero in on one person, right? He's a nice abuser. He, he, uh, he was the candy man. Like yeah. a candy little girl. I remember him saying that to me and I never thought it was funny. I, I, like, I met him when I was 16 and I was like, this old guy trying to give me candy. And I got yeah. way more than my fair share of attention from men. Whenever they started to notice me, I've had all that happen to me my whole life. Yeah. I've been followed. I can sense a predator and he is one. He is a, he's a little bit pervy. Like obviously a lot, I mean, trying to stick to my list here because I could go, I could go, I could literally do an entire interview on that man. And I don't want to give him that much airway right now. Right. Um, he did some pretty pervy things to my sisters. Like man, that's more of their story. But one thing that sticks out is my sisters had to go pants shopping with him so that he could approve that their pants for school were not too tight. Hmm. And I want to say this, there isn't a male out there that should be taking a daughter to the store, a little girl to the store for that purpose. Right. Yeah. It made them feel very uncomfortable. And he, right. again, was allowed to have access to their body in a way that he shouldn't have. Right. So um, he, I, we found out later from our nieces long after he was gone, like my, it's been like nine years since my mom left, but it's been a long time. Um, and they were together for like 12. They were together for a while. At one point, um, he was trying to groom my nieces when they were really young. And they mm -hmm. told us some stuff. And I can't get into that, but not a good man, yeah. you know? And again, it was, he's viewed as a man of a God. He's in church every time the doors are open, letting everyone know he's right. a good guy. He was very unkind to me over the years in many ways. Uh, he kicked me out of the house when I was 18. He abused my mother verbally, financially, emotionally. Uh, again, I could do an interview just on this man. Um, he has so much pride. He saw himself. He sees himself um, as sinless while he literally judges everyone else around him. Um, he also kicked my youngest sister out of the house when she was 19. And like, so 
we, we have been subjugated to abuse our entire lives. Um, kicking someone out of the house is abuse. It's cruel. And he did it twice. And it was just, we, we never felt safe. I, haven't, I didn't feel safe with a man until, not when I met my husband, but years after knowing him. Hmm. Years. And he's never been unkind to me. Um, it wasn't just my family that was racist. I need to be very clear about that. Like everybody around us were, it was always something. Um, I can't go into every detail. I want to highlight a few pivotal ones. Um, at 18, I started dating my first boyfriend. He used the N word regularly as well as his friends. Uh, was always racist jokes bounce around regularly, a topic of conversation to tell racist jokes. Um, I don't recall my involvement completely. Perhaps I wanted to scorch that from my own memory, but I never, I never told them to shut up. No. I regret, I regret that. I never, I don't remember using the N word, but I, I always heard it in my brain, not at black people, but I could hear my dad's voice. I can't um, light the match to take that off my brain. There's nothing I can do to take it off my brain. And he did that to me. No. Um, my ex-boyfriend also regularly mocked people with Down syndrome, claiming that the word mongoloid is funny. He would see a person in public and just start laughing. This is not a kind, loving, compassionate group of people. These people teach and live hate underneath the surface. And sometimes, I'm not sure they know it how hateful yeah. they are. They judge people on the regular for how God made them, right. for how God created these humans. They are mocked for it. Right. Um, they don't even believe that God, how could they even believe God made these people or else how could he have created them so wrong? You know, um, why would God create different skin colors? And why are you telling him he did it wrong? Right. This, is, this is my question to the IFB world. You, why are you telling God that he was wrong to create yeah. different skin color? Yeah, I, um, think, I think you, uh, you hit a nail on the head with, you know, people not realizing fully how wrong a lot of this stuff is. And like, I, you know, I've said this on the show before, like there were things that I was very comfortable saying as a high schooler, things that, you know, jokes, I was very, and I don't, I don't. I don't think I, I think I intended to shock more than I intended to be mean spirited, I guess. But, you know, there was an L, I mean, there's an element of that, but there's things that I said, you know, where it was so normalized, even though I grew up in a very tame, like compared to what I know about Ruckman, very tame environment. I grew up in probably the tamest version of IP you could get, but we we're still very comfortable mocking people, very comfortable saying, you know, racist jokes, very, you know, that was something even up till a few years ago, there were, you know, there's still things I'll catch myself where, oh, that's a joke that my youth pastor used to tell me, or that's a joke that where, you know, or something will slip out. And I'm like, why did I say that? Like, that's so, that's so far removed from how I actually feel about an entire group of people. And, you know, but it, it does, it gets so normalized. And again, it falls into that nice guy thing of like, well, they're really nice to me so obviously anything they're saying is like totally fine we don't have to consider the feelings of anybody else you know right 
um, yeah, I mean, it's just insane how how much of it was was going on every day. Um, one of my close friends at the time at her graduation party, her brother took a snow cone cup and drew eye holes and like made it into a KKK hood uh, as a joke. And I remember I would have been like 15 and I remember finding it wholly offensive and I was shocked by it. Um, the party was at the church. Mm, no. Uh, she took it down immediately, but that, that's just, that's the vibe for some of this, you know, um, for some of these people. And I had someone claim their fathers be the closest man to Jesus Christ that they ever knew. Um, and I just want to say, how can that be? How can the closest man to Jesus Christ be a person that used the N-word? Right, yeah. It's just embedded in this religion. Um, at one point, the pastor compared Black people to vicious breeds of dogs. And so to learn that there were people in the church that supported the KKK, or at the very least thought it was funny enough, I mean, that was a really hard slap in the face of truth for me. Right. Um, that moment always stood out to me and I, and I vowed to never support the KKK or any hate group. Um, they are absolutely terrorists. Right. So any white Christian that says the KKK should have a voice, what are you doing? They right. are terrorists. Um, but this is at 15 when I realized, oh, some Christians will support the KKK and I'm immediately horrified. I'm still not, not racist, you know, that's just, it's big onion. Right. This is just the beginning of me starting to learn the truth for myself. And I had to, you weren't allowed to ask questions, especially right. if you, especially if you were a girl. Right. Um, yeah. Especially not. Yeah. My uh, sister met one of the very few black men to come to our church. Um, and this is, this is a shameful truth on my part. Um, when, when they became pregnant, um, they surprised us with a marriage and rather than support her in her time of need, I was cruel because that was what I was taught to be. Right. Um, I, I was hurt. You know, I felt like the secrecy really hurt. But now, I wish I had been able to support her the way I would now. The way I know that there is nothing so evil about creating a baby to, to be received of that kind of ridicule and shame that she was given. Um, so she, she has a lot of hurt. Um, Anyway, it, it was a few months of like, what the heck is going on here? But then, you know, by the time my nephew was here, like we couldn't wait to meet him. That was the natural reaction. Like that's all of us sisters rallied around her. It, it, we're all very maternal. And, and, and the thing is, is like, that was a pivotal moment in my family to have that baby be born. And we were so happy to have him and so proud of him and such a delightful bundle of joy from the beginning. And this was a big turning point in our family for this to happen. Um, my dad, uh, my dad reacted very 
um, aggressively. He said he would never speak to her again until she divorced her black husband. My nephew was born on my father's birthday and he just went, he went berserk. He called all of us on the phone, yelling, screaming at us. Are you gonna marry a black man? Like it was torture. I'm like, I'm in my twenties now. I'm like, you're still doing this? Oh, it was horrible. It was just horrible. Um, yeah, he was, he was just so enraged. His daughter had birthed a black baby on his birthday. Anyway, so that was a real turning point for me and that I, I wanted out of the church at that point and it was going to be still a few more years before I could get out. Um, and about it, what age, what age is this? Uh, my nephew is 17. So I was 23. Okay. Around 23. Um, I, I, I had been wanting out really. I didn't want to go to church every day, but it was just like, it was my family, you know, like right. it was like, you felt, I felt I had that pressure. It would, anybody who's been in IFB, like they know they what know. I'm saying. Yeah. It's like that pressure to go every week. And so for a long time, it was just a duty that I was doing to not upset my mom. Like, you know, it, it felt, I didn't want to upset my mom or, or let her, you know, whatever. But after Ben came, it became very apparent to us who was kind and who was turning their noses up because of my nephew being black, brown. I don't know what I'm supposed to call him. I mean, I know what I'm supposed to call him. I know the world calls him black, but I've actually had people ask me that, Rachel, why do you call your nephew black? Because he's a threat to white people, because he's taller than me and he's really strong. And you guys look at him as a threat. So I call him black because he's in that category, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so everyone realized that my sister wasn't racist enough to stop from having an interracial relationship and they have shunned her ever since. She will forever be trash. We will forever be trash because of that. Right. Um, so that was, um, they eventually like went, left to go to another church where, I don't, I don't know that she got the comfort she was looking for there, but that's her story. Um, that was a moment in time that my family witnessed together. We watched this church just, I mean, I'm looking at them thinking, this is not a compassionate, loving environment to most of us. Um, that truth was very powerful to me. I felt like I had, I had that, that knowledge and I, I didn't even have to make the decision to leave because they showed me that this was the answer with their hateful reaction to that. Right. Um, but it's still that like that last hurdle would end up being, okay, I know I'm going to break my mother's heart, but it, it's going to be like three more years before I get out of this. So I have to ask it the last, you know, yes. and the only thing that gave me joy was working in the nursery with the babies and singing in the choir. Um, I'll talk about that more in a little bit. I want to get back to the, uh, Oh, wasn't, my stepdad was very prominent in our lives at the time of my nephew's birth. And, you know, he, he is, um, he's the one that has said we should still have slavery. So yeah, this was a rough time for us. My mom is married to this man. We're all in this church together because we all believe in the same Jesus, but some of us are really hateful and some of us want to love this baby. We're just very confused at this time. Right. Um, so my sister and I, uh, sing in a group. I don't sing in a group anymore. Um, sadly, but she has stayed in this group for many, many years. And this was, uh, this was around 
would have been December. So it was Handel's Messiah. Um, this was after my nephew was here. And my sister and I had just sang this concert of Handel's Messiah. And I was talking with my stepdad afterward. And he's, he's like looking past me, not listening. He's like, why is your sister talking to that black man? That was the only thing that was on his mind is actually speaking to a person of color. And I turn around and realize he's, he's Hispanic. He was a member of the corral. doesn't matter. He was brown. So my stepdad assumed he was black and therefore it was wrong for her to even speak to him. Right. Like she's already proved to you that she's not about that hate life. Yeah. You can't stop her from speaking to any person of color. Right. And now, now you're so ignorant and blind to the truth. This, this poor Hispanic man is being tar targeted just as if he were black in this situation right. because you are that dumb. Right. Um, again, I'm going to go back to the question. Why would God mess up and make them different colors if that yeah. wasn't right? Right. I'm, I'm curious just from, because I've, I've listened to Ruckman talk about, you know, the, you know, the difference of races and things like that was with your stepdad and your biological father, was it specifically black men or was it anyone that was not white? Cause I know Ruckman was, was like, I guess more lenient with, you know, other races that were not black, but, but, but was it more. You know, he tried to say he only hated black people, the Nazis. And so that made him. Most black people are not really black. They're brown. They're dark brown. But a real thoroughbred. I'm a thoroughbred, a Nigerian. Uh, a real thoroughbred from, from the Chad. They're black. And I mean just as black as shoe polish, boy. Just black. They're black, black. <laughs> Some of those beautiful kids in the world are Japanese-American kids or Korean-American kids. And as a matter of fact, a lot of you folks in North Carolina got the blood in you because you got it from Indians, you got it from Cherokee. And those are Shemites. And most are out in Hollywood and, and out in these uh, uh, beauty contests, Miss America contests and this and that, most of the winners, of course they're putting in blacks now, you got to get a token in there, you know, to make it look good. Because you got a lot of people in the watching television, you know. That's all the stuff is. That's all it is. All the world it is, you know. You know what a break dance is, don't you? That's watermelon withdrawal. <laughs> I think it was uh, kind of variable across the board within certain churches. Um, my dad did find and order a mail order bride from the Philippines who was 18 years his junior. So I, bet, I guess he's not uh, that racist against Filipino people, but make no mistake. You're, he's racist against all right. people of color. Even though he, you, know, you can marry a black woman and you still be racist, like you yeah. can, it doesn't. I, yeah, yeah. So the, I would say, that, yeah, there were other people of color in in the churches that I would see sometimes, but I mean, the general rhetoric was pretty much the same. Um, not definitely more racism toward black people, but sort of light racism toward other people of color. Hands down, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they really hate the Muslim community too. Right. Well, that was it. Yeah, that was huge even where I was. And I wasn't in a, you know, but in Michigan, where I think that was almost a, 
I mean, that was almost a conservative thing. I think that came with the politics of IFB people, but I've wandered into that territory before and uh, it's been (laughs) pretty heated. So, but, um, but no, I actually had someone, I posted a screenshot of a deacon. um, I forget where the church was, but he had said, he had basically commented on an advertisement. It was like, I think it was, or I don't know who it was, but it was, it was a, it was like a black athlete or actor and a white, wife and he posted a picture of it and said you know interracial couples make me not want to buy from these companies and it sickens me disgusts me this was 2019 oh mind you God. and so i posted a screenshot and you know and the guy that reached out to me was a a very nice guy at least on the phone but he said you know hey this is my this is my father-in-law he said you know he said, I know he said that, and that's crazy. And I was like, yeah, I don't really know what your butt's going to be on this. Um, he's like, but he's been married to a an Asian woman for 40 years. And I was like, but you still can be racist. <laughs> and yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I just don't know how you... I don't know how you say that. How you can justify it. Right. And I mean, and he was from a Ruckman school of teaching too. And Ruckman, I'll insert audio clips throughout this of what Ruckman actually says. People know we're not just making up things. Like this is, this was very clear. Like Ruckman would literally draw out Asian people, white people, black people and comment on their appearance. And, you know, he has a whole theological reason that he considers black people to be inferior. And, you know, obviously none of it's accurate information, but it's, um, it's, it's one of those things where like, if you were to tell me this, I didn't know who Ruckman was, I'd be like, no, it couldn't have been that specifically bad. Like, but it's bad. Like it's, there's really no way to overstate Ruckman's racism in any way. So once I get out from my dad's house and I'm back in the, just the regular IFB part who aren't, aren't as hardcore as Ruckman, but still invite him and believe him a lot. Yeah. I mean, we think we're in a softer, calmer environment. So it was like, took me a long time to realize how much of the same they really were. And a lot of this is me reflecting back on the past and picking, putting these, you know, all these puzzle pieces together because I was scared to leave. I was, I was scared. I was scared to hurt my family. I was a little bit of me was scared of some sort of backlash or some sort of hate or whatever. And the truth is, they never cared that I left. Nobody ever tried to contact me. And they haven't, I mean, I've, like I said, there's a few that I'm friendly with on social media and such. And I bet it, it was like, they didn't care that I left. And I, it was the biggest weight being lifted. Um, so for me, to stay in the IFB community is to be complicit with racism, uh, period. They're, they do not have a love for all motto, mantra, whatever, whatever you may think, whatever they may tell you. Um, I, and I, I rarely felt support in this environment. Um, they also tell you who to vote for as always Republican. They will drill it from the pulpit. Um, they, they don't like separation of church and state. And uh, it's always a special joy for me to introduce to you political leaders. They also describe themselves as God-fearing and Christian. I have long heard of uh, First Baptist Church, the reputation and renown of your pastor and this ministry brings...
across the state of Indiana and across the nation, and it is my high honor to be with you at last. I'm not only going to vote, I'm going to use every ounce of my influence to encourage others to do the same. Don't just determine to vote yourself for the nominee on the Republican ticket, Donald Trump and Mike Pence, but encourage everyone you know to do the same. Nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God, not even the politicians. And that is why the West Coast Baptist College Choir is our most valuable patriot. We can look at this and get disgusted and talk to our fellow uh, Baptists about it over a Chick-fil-A sandwich, or we can actually get involved. I want to ask all of you to pray for this man. Uh, you, you think, uh, uh, well, everyone's probably real friendly to him at Fox and so forth, and not everyone there is a Baptist and a believer. I want you to know that I've been there. What the Republican Party needs to do is come out strong, pro-life, pro-family, pro-Israel, pro-free market, pro-military, and they need to come out strong. I'm now facing, and if we don't come back to God, we're not going anywhere. God raised Donald Trump up to be president to do all the good that he's doing right now. How shameful it was to see the treatment of Justice Kavanaugh. It does matter if you vote. America has been given another chance. Let's get behind Ted Cruz for president. It was so awful to listen to and I, it left me confused and bewildered. And when I first voted, I voted Republican because I thought, because I listened to them. That's your job, yeah. It's very, very not cool to use your pulpit for that kind well, of, that, yeah. like, that soapbox, that political garbage. Yeah. And at that time, people. And at that time, technically, wasn't legally something that they were supposed to do. I think there was a there was an uh, there was a rule. No, I think it's like I think it's actually illegal. But it it is it is now legal. Um, so Trump's um, under Trump that that changed because that's his demographic. Again, I won't wander too much into that minefield right now. I will get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment and allow our representatives of faith to speak freely and without fear of retribution. I will do that. Remember. The Johnson Amendment is named after former President Lyndon Johnson, who introduced it when he was a senator in 1954. It prevents tax-exempt nonprofits, notably churches, from donating to candidates. Democrats argue the amendment is an important barrier between church and It was and very state. much, I remember, Johnson's motives I remember as a kid with, you know, a teenager with Obama, Romney, and it was just very clear it, they wouldn't say the name but it was very heavily implied who you were supposed to vote for in that group. And same with, with Trump. And um, I was in a, ch a church in Virginia and, you know, I remember everybody getting out, praying around the flag and saying, you know, God put who you want here. But it was, it was anything you could say without saying like, Oh, it was Trump. <laughs> like anything that anything, but saying that, you know, it was, it could be him or her. We know who I hope it is. And then um, this, this is a topic that really frustrated. One of my last projects as a videographer in the IFB was um, I was recording an event and they were talking about the Trump, um, the Trump Hillary election. And, you know, what I just remember some of the quotes, like, uh, 
it was Chuck Harding, I'll just name him, but he had founded Awake America, which is like a big coalition of IFB pastors. And I just remember statements like, you know, just when I thought there was going to be a, a woman president, God stepped in. And just when it was like, you know, and I was already out of the IFB when I was hearing that. I was just taking a contract job. And I was like, okay. But that kind of was one of those, that whole last event sealed the deal for me in a lot of ways of like, oh, this isn't just someone I disagree with. Like, this is a toxic, like, and it's toxic from the foundational level of what this organization right. is. It's not, it's not a situation where it's, you know, oh, certain churches are toxic, certain, you know. Oh, our country's beginning, our country's foundation was built on this yeah. religious, like, web that they've invented. I mean, that they created, like, yeah. you know. It takes I, different or, names, but it's the same yeah. essential thing. Right. Yeah, and, and again, there are churches, like, there are, there are good churches that manage to be decent in this world, but the ones that are truly IFB and that absorb that, the, the way I, the way I've seen it is the, the ones that are good don't stay IFB very long. They switch to a different denomination. It's not, that's, it's just not from a foundational level, like what was started back in the thirties, forties, fifties, it hasn't changed. We talk about reforming the movement. Like it's been this, it's been right. racist and sexist for decades. So if you're going to take it back to the days of, what Jack Hiles? <laughs> you got to take it back to the days of what Ruckman or like which which forefather of the IFB do you want to go back to? Because it kind of looks like the worst version of the IFB is the it, origin. You it, know, kind of we're all bad apples. That's what right. we're talking about. You know, there's yeah. all the corruption and cover. Like, my mom, my mom has stories right. of Miles Anderson. I'm sure. And my mom has some stories like. Yeah. But, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if she'll do an interview with that. I mean, she knew she knew what was going down um, when Jack Hiles was still alive. But wow, yeah. um, I wanted to talk about this sort of transition into um, when I started getting out. Okay. Um. So I told you that my real, the real reason for me taking so long to leave it that I was, you know, worried about hurting my family. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had gotten to the point where, uh, uh, I, I just felt like I had to claw my way out of this hole of this structure where I didn't believe anything they were teaching. I didn't want to be racist. I didn't want to hear all this stuff all the time. Um, and I, I was, and I was in this happy, relationship I was engaged and I, I sort of looked at that like um that was my ticket you know everyone's going to accept that I can do whatever I want I'm married now yeah, so now you have an identity of your own. I was 28 years I was 28 <laughs> right. years old when I got engaged so were, yeah were you living I at felt, home during this no I was, okay I'm going to talk about that um um, because that's part of the pain so um basically I was the first person in my family to to question and, and the first walk. Um, it was really hard. Some of my sisters said and did some pretty hurtful things. Um, one of my sisters was responsible for telling my Sunday school teacher that I was living with my uh, boyfriend. I think that was before we were engaged. Um, and then my other sister called me 
poor for an undetermined amount of time when she was referencing me to one of the other sisters. Mm. Um, I've made my peace with my sister, so I'm not crying about that. Like, I actually know how hurt they were and how scared they were, and that's why they reacted that way. But right. it's just another level of the toxicity yeah. because it was very hurtful to have my family turn on me. But I know some people's families have turned and never looked back. Right. And so yeah. I have to, I'm grateful that my family has stuck with me. Um, um, anyway, so uh, the thing is, Christians love to, this, these Christians in this environment, they just love to judge. They love to hate sinners. As much as they say, no, 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 we hate the sin. We love the sinner. They love to judge every anyone and everyone. We talk about like, physical judgments. So we're talking about like their morality judgments. Like it was constant in that group, in that environment. Um, it, they really do. It's a sick, twisted mind trick when you spout the Bible. We gotta love one another as our own selves. But it's nothing. Yeah, I felt at the end of it, I could call it this: not, nothing but judgment and ridicule for right. you know almost twenty years of me being in and out of there. Um, so when I left, it was, it was like, it was always coming out of the non-church closet, mm. you know? Um, I was dating a faithless man and I moved in before we were engaged and I, and I wasn't concerned with uh, getting married. Um, that, act, that actually terrified me. I did not- And a, and a skateboarder. Not, so he's a bit of a bad boy too. You saw that my husband's a skateboarder? You told, you told me before we started recording. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I can cut that yeah, if you don't want to give away a secret identity. He had a black trench coat and everything. That's awesome. Eric, he was if you're going to go him. for it, you got to go for it, you know? He had a chain for a minute. Oh, I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about getting married because I was finally in the first healthy relationship of my life. Mm. And I, just, I didn't want to ruin it. I didn't want to rush it. And I thought, if we never get married, but we're always just happy that's fine with me. I was content with that. Um, I could, I saw what my dad and my stepdad did to my mom. They have done horror. They're both responsible for horrible sins against yeah. my mother. And I didn't want to rush into that. You know, um, they're, they're men of God, but they're actual trash. And, um, I was not looking forward to looking forward to get in on that. So anyway, um, I remember my dad threatening me as a teenager or like bullying me because uh, when I started speaking out, because he, he, this was like after we left, but we were visiting. So I got to the point where I found my voice and he knew I could rat him out. Um, I wasn't going to let him hurt me again. Uh, and I would speak out when he would call my sister's names, like stupid retard was a favorite of his. So that was, but I, anyway, I had to, I eventually found my voice and he eventually backed down and he started actually to dislike me at that point. Um, and he never really liked me since. I'm fine with that. But again, I, I as terrified and wounded as he, as terrified as he made me and in all of the things that he did to me that I still live with every day, I'm not actually sitting in front of him afraid of him. I just, just ew, you know, I'm done. We don't have a relationship. He doesn't have a relationship with um, 
any any of us really. Um, but I wanted to touch back. So talked about leaving and how it took so long. Um, but as soon as it was over, it was like the band aid, you know. And I was um, just being patient, waiting for my family to you know come around more. And they it, they did. They did. They came around so fast. They knew I was happy. It was just like it was just that shock that I came out of the non of the church. The tribe. Kind of yeah. I came out, I'm, you know, I was just sleeping with my boyfriend. Now everybody knows. So fast forward later to like, this was like before our wedding, um, this gossip started circulating around the church and I had already left. So the story goes, someone from my husband's family, extended family, ran into somebody from my old church. And so these two have a conversation and his family members like, oh yeah, they're living together. They're living in sin. And this person like, what? She sings in the choir and she teaches in the nursery or she's in the nursery. Um, that was the original like, con or some, and there's something being thrown around like there was a Sunday school class. So that's, that's what started the rumor, this little conversation. And my sister heard it on a totally different occasion and brought it back to me because what had ended up happening is somebody got the other Rachel confused. So now the other Rachel was being labeled a whore or whatever else they were calling me. And I was furious because I already left the church. Why are you dragging me into this? Um, it was really awkward. Like it was super awkward. I had to end up contacting her. And it's yeah, awkward to be like, no, that's me. <laughs> it's yeah, not well, her. She, yeah. she knew it was me. The, right. the person that told my sister thought it was the other Rachel. Right. That was at the church that she was at. That's right. problematic because she was teaching an actual Sunday school class, not just what, you know, I, I, I felt I'm not that much in sin because everybody needs their baby taken care of. Like I can't actually poison your baby because I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. I, but maybe you don't want me to teach a Sunday school class. That's fine. But I had to end up clearing my name over this woman. And she's like, I just didn't think that it was right for for him, for the pastor to let you do that. And I was like, well, he didn't know. I'll tell you, he didn't know what I was doing. And I don't see what it has to do with singing or wiping butts. Singing was the only thing I had left there. Like, I, I still sing. It brings me so much joy. I don't know how to explain it. I love music and it is healing to me. And at that time, even though it was that music, it was healing to me. So that was like, man, when it's over, like, screw you guys. I don't, I don't need this. It just felt like that kind of, I felt like a, I felt like a scarlet woman for so long, even before I was one, you know, what did you yeah. think I was going to become after you treated me like that? Um, but that was, again, that was, that was family. You know, that's, that's part of my extended family. And I, nothing good has come from that. And the kicker, um, we actually, um, we actually eloped. And we were already married at that time, and I couldn't just come out and say it. I mean, because, well, I guess I could have. The idea was, I don't care if you know about this. I don't care if you're judging me, because I was not ashamed of my actions. I wanted her to not talk gossip about someone else and drag their name through the mud, which is how rumors get started in the first place. Um, being raised in the IFB cult as it was, that I, you know, I have... I have suffered like such a tremendous amount of pain my entire life in that, in that realm. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently in therapy and probably will be 
at, in some capacity for the remainder of my life. Um, I, it helps me work through the demons. Uh, I have, I battle with depression. Anxiety is a daily struggle and I have PTSD. Um, did you know that every person that has anxiety has either suffered uh, severe trauma or abandonment as a child? Mm. And I have both. Um, it is, I wrote something down last night when I was thinking and I just want to pull it up. It's very lonely being a victim of childhood abuse. We will have fear, anxiety, depression, PTSD for the rest of our lives. Many people who've never experienced this type of abuse do not want to listen to our truth. It makes them uncomfortable. Even my own husband sometimes won't be able to listen to my truth because it makes it sad and it's really hard for me. The only people that truly understand me are the people that went through the same trauma. I'll always have my family, but it is a very lonely world we live in sometimes. Um, but um, this, this fear that I live in is nothing to the pain of black people. And I can't, uh, I won't stay silent any longer. The whole reason I did this was to open up. Um, the black community is calling out for us white people to own and confess our racism. I can't be the best nephew to my, I'm sorry, I can't be the best aunt to my nephew if I'm not honest about my past. And the truth is, IFB Church is full of blatant racism and sexism and constant emotional abuse. And those are the reasons that I cannot even associate with Christianity at this point in my life. Um, yeah, that, that's it. That's, that's what I had to do. And I haven't revisited a lot of these things until, until I did this. So this has been kind of eye-opening for me to revisit these pains, but there is never a more important time to be open and honest about the uh, systemic racism embedded in the IFB community than right now. And uh, I hope if you're listening and you're scared out there, you're not alone and you can talk to me. There's a whole bunch of us that are in this together. And Eric, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel pretty raw right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I know none, there's not a single topic that we talked about that's necessarily easy to dive into and, and talk about, but I appreciate you sharing. And I think there's a lot of people who need to hear exactly what you just said. Um, Cause even if they didn't experience, you know, I mean, Ruckman is an extreme version and the, the, the version that you're in, but you can see the fruit of that stuff all throughout this movement. I see it pop up in conversations, whether, whether or not, you know, you're listening and, you know, you're thinking, Oh yeah, I saw racism. You know, you, you saw sexism, you saw, you know, at the very, at the very least you saw hate towards somebody. And that's something that I've seen almost, I mean, I can count on one hand the amount of churches I've been to where I didn't see it towards some people group. And so 
I just appreciate you sharing. And, you know, like I said, before we started recording, like, you know, I, I see this as kind of your show and I think, you know, the, the message you try to bring with it, I think is super powerful and important. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at preacher boys doc. Additional information can always be found on preacherboysdoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.